Contract Properties is a homegrown, family-owned maintenance company located in Nashville. They provide HVAC, electrical, plumbing, painting, and many other services for commercial and residential properties. From build-outs to junk removal, one call does it all. Whether you're a homeowner or a property manager, give Contract Properties a call today for a free estimate. 615-356-0755. That's 615-356-0755. Or visit ContractProperties.net. From 104.5 The Zone, this is the Midday 180. Delivered by Edley's Barbecue. With Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Glad you're with us. Midday 180, delivered by Edley's Barbecue. Got plenty of football to be played in week 13. Washington and Pittsburgh coming up today at 4 o'clock. Tonight, Bills and 49ers on Monday Night Football. And then tomorrow, Ravens-Cowboys. 615-737-1045, our number. Tuesday football. Jeremy Pruitt currently speaking with the media. Says no new positive COVID test on their Sunday round of testing. Asked about Vanderbilt. He said, whenever Tennessee plays Vanderbilt, you better expect to get Vanderbilt's best Vanderbilt. And that is what they're expecting. Expecting Vandy's best. Said our kid, our kids. Vandy's best should be significantly worse. Yeah, how, how would he have said that, Chad? Our kids. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. more of my just high school football coach kids. kids. Hey, I paid our off kids, the bet. Our, our kids Paul. are really excited. Paid off heard, the bet. Playing. I heard you complimenting Chad's um, uh, quality of play. Like what he would have done in a high school football game. My physicality. Game. He, com- yeah. he complimented now, my physicality. Like was you dismissing the compliments? See, that was the problem. I I forgot about the bet being paid up. No. So I was I was doing this very oh Hutton, I wasn't any good or I'm not. And then after one or two, I'm no, like, you're oh, like I'm just five gonna... five fouls in the first quarter, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I'm just gonna uh, I'm gonna let these. I'm just gonna let these compliments go. We talked go. about it earlier in the my day. My best compliment, I I must say, if I can compliment yeah, myself please. on my compliment. Yes. Um, was we we came back from an interview from Murphy Fair, and I said, well, he may call himself the guru, but I'm telling you right now, the best high school football website in the state of Tennessee is tnhighschoolfootball.com, ran by one Chad Withrow. And said, if, if Murphy Fair is the guru, Chad Withrow is the best at covering high school sports. And I let that one go. I didn't, yeah, I didn't fight a, back on it. Qu- quick little pause. And the clicks went crazy. And then I said, move aside, Murphy Fair. There's a new guru. And, no, I did not say Then that. you got a hat. There's a new tie in town. They should have cut to you right then. And you I'm going to show up tomorrow on a bolo tie. <laughs> Prove I can get away with anything. Listen, I'd give it to somebody give like Give me Murphy. that Stetson. I mean, if you go with the hat, you got to go all the way. And you he absolutely goes must. all the way. Yes, he does. He also I mean, had a Christmas-themed tie. Did he? Yeah. Dave Ammonhauser kind of theme? It was very close. Cool. It was Snoopy similar. It was, no, Snoopy wasn't. It was Santa kicking a football, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was a Santa time. I love that. And by love it, I mean it's the hate it to my it core. It's Murphy, though. Murphy can pull it off. Oh, yeah. It's like David Reed. David Reed could pull that off if he showed, if he was to show up in a suit with a uh, Santa Claus kicking a football. But he would be doing it with a certain humor. I think Murphy may be doing that as well. I don't know. You guys ready for the best thing? I don't know thing? Murphy's humor. You guys ready for the best thing to come out of the Jeremy Pruitt press conference going on right now? Jared Garantano's not going to practice? Asked about the quarterbacks. Pruitt says, Harrison Bailey and JT will obviously take the majority of the reps moving forward. Okay. Good. Obviously. 
So and by so majority, obvious. I mean all. It's not that obvious because why? we had to ask. Him. He's saying majority, but I hope that means all of the rest. So why did we see JT Shroud in this game? He must have been practicing really well, Hudden. That's all I can think of. Big on practice. It's a program that's big on practice. So correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the CBS broadcast say that he had, like, a serious injury? They said that he separated his shoulder or tore his labrum. They said his shoulder throwing. popped. That his was shoulder the quote. popped out of place. And then after the game, though, Pruitt and J.T. Shrout said, well, the tests were negative after whatever happened, and he said he felt great. His arm looked good. I, I saw no restrictions with him throwing the ball it was, when he it, was in the game. It just added to more speculation during the broadcast as CBS says, yeah, Shrout's playing with a torn labrum. And then they say that uh, Maurer, who came in with a torn hamstring, yeah. Like, well, what do you? What I'm thinking. What are they doing? You have a healthy Harrison Bailey. Wasn't it a fourth down play that Maurer came in on? Yes. And he threw just like a five yard completion. I was yep. thinking, well, here comes an RPO, or he's going to run it in that situation. It was a third, third and short, or a fourth and short. And he just ran a normal play that Harrison Bailey could have run. Uh, Pruitt also he was asked about J.T. Shrout not even traveling to Arkansas and now playing. And he said not traveling to Arkansas was a unique circumstance. That was a week that we had a lot of false positives. That probably wasn't as much about him as the other guys in the team when you could only travel 70 guys. Yeah, that, that's a signal that uh, they've, <laughs> they're trying to keep one of the two and they're trying to figure out which one they're keeping, I think. Well, he was, he was asked specifically about Garantano's availability. And he said, we're going to go with Harrison and JT and stick with the same schedule we had last week. Well, last week, Garantano couldn't even Wasn't available because of contact tracing. To that, I say. You love that, yes. And I do, too. Because if he said anything else about it's an open competition, let's get Garantano some first-team reps and Maurer some first-team well, reps. No. Here's what- All quest hour on Friday, we, we could still hear something about Garantano having had a few good snaps. I'm sure we will. Well, not according to this answer, because if he says same schedule as last week in terms of reps, then Garantano didn't practice last week. So, Shrout or Bailey, one of them is transferring after this year, right? I would assume it would be Shrout. Shrout's already a junior. There was rumor, there was buzz that he was going to transfer after last year. I don't see any way that Harrison Bailey, unless he's just... Let's say they fire Jim Chaney and he's tied at the hip to Jim Chaney for some reason. Keep in mind, though, Harrison Bailey committed to Tennessee without an offensive coordinator. He committed before yeah. they hired. So I don't think he's tied to Jim Chaney any, anyway. I would assume that both Maurer and Shrout will transfer. You got Caden Salter coming in. They're going to need to add a transfer quarterback. So why are you playing them? Well, I mean, if, if, you, if you want, I mean, the, they don't know. He hasn't announced that he's going to transfer right now. I mean, you're going under assumption that he'll transfer. And th- this is what's weird about playing, uh, taking Bailey out of the game and playing Shroud. I don't think that you do things to guard yourself from success. Like, you don't make a decision, well, if we play Bailey and he's good, then maybe the other kid won't <laughs> come here. You know, that type of thinking. You play to have success. Yes. But Shroud comes in and has some success. And threw the ball well. I think he was 12 for 14 and had more yards passing than Bailey just in the in the fourth quarter. Granted, it's against the Florida defense. It's just trying not to give up the big play, but he looked okay. So now you go into this week and you think, well, maybe J.T. Shrout could give them the best chance to do well against Vanderbilt. I, I don't know. I feel like they're both very similar right now. 
when I watch them play. I don't think either one's adding some different dimension or element to the offense that's going to make your game plan any different. Yeah, I agree. Um, Bailey wasn't great against Florida. He had that nice touchdown drive where they, they were moving up-tempo, short passing game, getting the running backs involved in the passing game, uh, made some plays. But other than that, it was a it was a freshman struggle, as you might expect, against a an average Florida defense. I also don't think Jim Chaney helped him at all. His first five pass attempts were third and long or second and long. There were no easy throws to get him going. That. Now, he had some check downs, a swing pass for the touchdown. Swing to pass, yeah. That was the one good play call, I can say. I think the first time all year they've had Chandler and Gray in the backfield, and they used Chandler as a lead blocker on that swing pass that went for a touchdown. I think Bailey was fine. He looked poised. He didn't have one turnover. He got sacked five times and didn't fumble once. He didn't even come really that close to throwing an interception in the game. I think it was a pretty good first outing for him. It wasn't great, and I don't think that Chaney did anything to help him in the situations they put him in. Why does He seems to never do anything to help a guy in a situation that he's put in. I don't, I don't get it. Here are two things that jumped out to me. Two plays. There's no easing anybody into a situation. Two plays for Bailey that I loved. He took off and ran when he got pressured twice for nice run gains on it, on a blitz. That would have been two sacks if Garantano was in or maybe a pick six. He showed more awareness and pocket presence in start number one than Garantano has his entire career. If you want a sign of optimism, there's your sign of optimism. And he looks at more than one option. He can get through a progression. But there was twice where you could see it on the television. Oh, he's got room to run if yeah. he steps up. And he took off and got a night and got what he could instead of just standing there and taking a sack or throwing it into coverage and getting it picked. John Feinstein's about to join us. We will have Austin Price of VolQuest.com on for the VolQuest report. That's at 1145. Coming up at noon today, Eddie George on the show. We'll hear from Mike Vrabel's presser. Coming up at 1230, Midday 180, delivered by Edley's Barbecue, 104.5 The Zone. Midday 180, delivered by Edley's Barbecue. Always great to catch up with John Feinstein, hitting the national headlines from the weekend. Talk with Austin Price and Eddie George coming up, but right now... We say hello to John. John, hope you're doing well. Doing fine, Jonathan. I hope you guys are well, too. John, what in the world was Greg Williams thinking at the (laughs) end of that game yesterday? And it led to him getting fired, but it was also the best possible outcome for the Jets as they stay in the running for Trevor Lawrence with the number one pick. Yeah, they stay in the lead uh, because Jacksonville only has one win, Um, although the Jaguars came awfully close to winning yesterday, didn't they? Uh, But... you know, I've never understood the fascination with Greg Williams. Uh, he was he was part of Bounty Gate. Uh, he was the coordinator for the Browns when they went 0-16. So he had a chance to be the defensive coordinator for two of the three 0-16 teams in the history of the NFL if the uh, Jets could lose out. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting that the, the, the way – people who know football have reacted, which was basically, what, what were you thinking? I, I mean, all you need to do is get the receiver down, any receiver down, on the field. 
and the game's over because the Raiders are out of timeouts. And and not only did they, they go with the blitz, but the cornerback bites on a fake. Now, why in the world would you bite on a fake in that situation? If the guy is going to turn and catch the ball in front of you, then fine. So that that not only was the call ridiculous, but based on the way the, the play turned out, his guys weren't coached up as to what to do in that circumstance. And I've never been a fan of Greg Williams dating to his days in Washington. He was always a snarling, know-it-all type of guy. Uh, at one point, Dan Snyder wanted to make him the coach in waiting. I would say that the team lucked out with him not becoming the head coach, except that they never hired a good coach until Ron Rivera. And uh, But I, I don't get it. And, and if, if you're going to fire Greg Williams, which I have no problem with, why is Adam Gase still working? Can someone explain that to me? Because they're losing, and that's what they want to happen. Maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe that's it. Keep Adam Gase there, but maybe they should also keep Greg Williams there while they're at it and hire Jim Zorn as their quarterback coach. John, of all the weird stuff to happen this season, and across multiple sports too, not just with college football, but that the most compelling game by far on December 5th of this COVID-2020 college football season was BYU in Conway, South Carolina to take on Coastal Carolina is one of the upsets of the season. But here we are. It was a great game and a big moment for a very young Coastal Carolina program. Yeah, it was It was a terrific game. Um, you're right, Chad. I, I wrote a, a column about, I don't know, five, six weeks ago now on Coastal, so I feel pretty good about that um, when they were 5-0. and I think they were 5-0. and uh, and it just won a tough game against Georgia State with their starting quarterback out uh, that week. And um, they, 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 they're a great story. And, of course, you, you know who's smiling the most are the members of the CFP selection committee because now they can say, see, we told you so about BYU. Well, maybe, but I would also make the case that Coastal's pretty darn good. Uh, and, you know, I would love to see them. They won't get a chance against a, a Power 5 team uh, and see what happens. I'm not saying they'd win the game, but I'd like to see what happens, and I, I, I'd bet they'd be pretty darn competitive. Uh, but you're right. Uh, the, December 5th is supposed to be the day of the conference championship games, and, of course, they won't be for another two weeks. So Coastal and BYU gave us the game probably a lot more entertaining than any of the conference championship games would have been anyway. By scheduling the game... Um, it doesn't sound like Coastal Carolina is going to sniff the college football playoff. But if if BYU did, if BYU won the game, would we be talking this morning about BYU potentially getting in? Well, we might be talking about it, Jonathan, but it it's, it, it wasn't going to happen. Uh, you know, if they had won the game, maybe they they'd have moved up to tenth or eleventh. Uh, and Cincinnati's not going to go higher than seventh. Uh, they're not going to take a non-Power 5 team. I mean, we can talk all we want about Cincinnati being deserving or BYU having been deserving or Coastal Carolina being deserving. And past years, you know, UCF went undefeated, beat Auburn, uh, as we know, in the Peach Bowl when Auburn had beaten both Alabama and Georgia, who did play for the national championship. The, 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 the CFP is a cartel. And the 65 Power 5 schools, which includes Notre Dame, of course, um, are going to make sure that they are not put in a position in a four-team playoff where they might have to play and perhaps lose 
to a group of five team or Brigham Young, which is not technically part of the group of five because it's an independent, uh, but same thing. Uh, they're not going to let that happen. Now, if the playoff ever expands to eight, which I think it should have been all along, uh, then they might be forced to give a group of five team a spot or in a in, in crazy year, maybe two. And this is a crazy year after all. Um, and and that, will, that will ultimately be good for college football because there will be an upset somewhere along the way. A UCF, a Cincinnati, somebody like that will beat a Power Five school the same way we see upsets happen in the NCAA basketball tournament. The magic of that event, as we've all discussed, is Butler making the Final Four twice in a row, George Mason making the Final Four, VCU making the Final Four, Loyola of Chicago. That's the magic of the event. Not Kentucky and Duke and North Carolina or any of the power schools you want to talk about. And it's too bad the football people have yet to recognize that. Am I mistaken it was Carson Wentz part of your quarterback book? I, I couldn't hear the – all I heard was Carson Sorry, Wentz. am I mistaken or was he part of your quarterback book? He, he was a part of it but in a peripheral way. Uh, I had spoken to him during the season – uh, and we had agreed we, he was great, but we had agreed that we would sit down and talk at length once the season was over. He didn't want to do it till the season was over because the, the Eagles were on a run where they had a chance to make the Super Bowl, and of course they made it and won with Nick Foles as the quarterback. But after he was injured, he said he didn't want to sit down and talk at length because he wanted to focus on his rehab. So he was peripherally part of the book. So you know him at least a touch. I'm just wondering bit, yeah. what what you think of what's unfolding there. Um, we've kind of joked that he's maybe the luckiest guy in the world for the for the COVID non crowds because of the beating he'd be taking up there. And there's some speculation that he was really hurt when when they spent a number two pick on uh, the guy that's now got inserted yesterday over him. Well, I think any time your team drafts someone at your position with the notion that this person has the potential to be a starter, then, yeah, you are going to be hurt. I, I remember talking to Joe Flacco right after the Ravens took Lamar Jackson with the last pick of the first round, which turned out to be one of the smartest moves they've ever made. But uh, Flacco told me the story that he was sitting – uh, with Dennis Pitta, his friend, the retired tight end, watching the draft. And a minute or two after uh, Jackson's name went up on the board, the phone rang, and it was John Harbaugh. And Harbaugh said to Flacco, hey, Joe, we got you a tight end, because they had drafted Hayden Hurst with a 25th pick. And Joe said, John, you're not calling to tell me you drafted a tight end. You're calling because you just drafted a quarterback. And, and Joe knew that they had drafted him with the idea that he would be his replacement, whether it was that year or a year from now, whatever. Same thing happened when the Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes. In fact, Andy Reid called Alex Smith before the draft to tell him, if we have a chance to get this kid at 10, we're going to take him. And Alex knew what that meant. It meant that he might have the job for another year, which he did, but they didn't draft Mahomes to sit on the bench for two years, and clearly they knew what they were doing now. Tango Vilo is a, uh, excuse me, Um, Hertz is a second round pick. I'm confusing my Alabama quarterback. Uh, And that's not a first round pick, but it's still not somebody you take to hold a clipboard. So no doubt Carson Wentz was aware 
of what the Eagles were doing, and I'm sure he was hurt, maybe concerned. Maybe he's playing a little tight because he feels Hurts looking over his shoulder. Uh, but let's be honest, he's had a terrible season. And I wish I had a better explanation for it. Now, the offensive line has been devastated by injuries all year long, and that's certainly an issue. But those who know quarterback play better than I do will tell you that he has just not played well. And, and maybe he's got an injury that he's hiding in some way. Maybe he's just messed up mentally. Who the heck knows? John, what do you think about the Big Ten changing their own rules to allow for Ohio State, with a lack of games played, to play for a Big Ten championship? Are you even a tiny bit shocked by this? No, Dad? not at all. I mean, they want a team in the college football playoff. Neither Indiana nor Northwestern are going to get into the college football playoff. Northwestern lost to Michigan State. Indiana lost to Ohio State. They both had terrific years for Indiana and Ohio State. But they want a team in that CFP4. And if Ohio, whether Ohio State plays Michigan or not, if they beat Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game, they're going to be in the, in the four. They're going to be in the four. There, there's not any question about it. And probably they are one of the four best teams. But it doesn't shock me even one. I, I would be a little bit more shocked if the sun were to rise in the West tomorrow. <laughs> than I am that the Big Ten would change its rules to make sure that Ohio State has a chance to play in the CFP. South Carolina hires Oklahoma assistant Shane Beamer, of course the son of Frank Beamer. He's from the state. He's got ties to the program. He had coached there before. But, John, are you at all surprised to see South Carolina fire Will Muschamp in season and then go hire a first-time head coach to take his place? Not really. Uh, to be honest, Chad, I mean, Shane Beamer certainly has, uh, you know, the genetics uh, to be a, a, a great coach based on who his dad was as a coach and is as a person. Um, he's been around uh, a winning, winning staffs. Uh, and we, we t- discussed this a few weeks ago because I, I think, didn't you guys ask me uh, if Hugh Campbell might want to? Uh, no, you asked me if Tom Allen. Yes, might move from Indiana to South Carolina. And I said, look, it's a middling SEC job. You know, Lou Holtz never won the SEC uh, when he was at South Carolina. Neither Steve Spurrier. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's not an easy job. So I, don't see, I didn't see a Tom Allen or Hugh Campbell or some of the hot younger coaches who might be moving up. You know, those two guys have been rumored if, if there's changes at Michigan or Texas. That's different, Michigan and Texas. But to me, if you want to uh, hire a, a great coach at South Carolina, this is probably the route you have to go and hope that Shane Beamer, that this hire turns out to be one that people look back at. And say, oh, look, South Carolina gave Shane Beamer his start as a head coach. Will that happen? I don't know. But I think that's the route you almost have to go if you're South Carolina. John Feinstein with us. John, Kentucky has now, what, two double-digit losses to unranked non-conference opponents in, right. in college hoops to begin their season. Yesterday against Georgia Tech, 21 turnovers, including 15 steals by the Yellow Jackets. Is this just your typical John Calipari, young, freshman, heavy team, or do you think there's more to it than that this year? Well, it is your typical John Calipari, freshman, heavy team. That's the way John has built this program. Uh, in the, what is this? This is his 12th year. 
uh, at Kentucky. Now, I'm sure they're panicking in Kentucky. Um, my, my old friend Dan Dockich made a comment yesterday when he was doing the Xavier Cincinnati game that if uh, Kentucky were to lose to Georgia Tech, John might be running out of non-conference opponents since he won't play Indiana, probably never play <laughs> Richmond again, and now he may never play Georgia Tech again. And people are going to have fun with this because of who John is. Let me say this. I think John Calipari, and I have issues with a lot of things John does, like not playing Indiana, but I think John Calipari is very underrated as a coach because we see all of these um, uh, lottery picks coming through his program. And so the thought is, well, you're coaching lottery picks every year. Of course you should be in contention right. for the national championship. And, and, and I think that makes sense. But what you have to understand is John takes these guys from November to March and really molds them into a good team most, most years, almost every year. And that's not easy when you're coaching guys who are looking, looking at the door already because they're, they're sizing up where they're going to go in the NBA draft. And John's been able to do, do that pretty consistently. And, and I, I watched John when he was the coach at UMass and turned a 1-27 team into a Final Four program. We all know what he did at Memphis. Um, I think he's a hell of a coach. And so even though I'm sure they're panicking in Kentucky right now, my guess is Kentucky will be all right by the time it matters in February and March. We've seen this happen before where a school with a coach in place just goes ahead and talks to the big big gun anyway. Uh, where's Texas now? Where's Tom Herman now after Urban Meyer says no to Texas? You know, if I were Texas, I, I, uh, you know, in, in today's day and age, we all know everybody wants instant gratification. And they want, you know, they hire a Tom Herman who had done so well at Houston. John Harbaugh was supposed to turn Michigan around in 15 minutes when he got there. And then it doesn't happen. And so you say, okay, we've got to make another change. It's time to make another change. Now, Tom Herman's in his, I believe, third year at Texas. And they have not taken that next step to being what Texas is supposed to be. But it, this is an era. You remember when I, when I was growing up, the, the, there was a handful of teams that dominated all the time. It was Notre Dame, it was Texas, it was Nebraska, it was Oklahoma, uh, Southern Cal. Uh, and, and, but times have changed. I mean, look where Nebraska is right now. And I thought Scott Frost was a home run hire when, when, they, when they brought him back uh, to his alma mater three years ago out of UCF. It, it's harder now. It's harder now. Now, you, you could say, well, why are... Alabama and why is Alabama so dominant? Because I was about to say an LSU, but look where LSU is a year after winning the national championship. So Alabama and Clemson, they've been the two dominant programs for the last five years. They both have it going with recruiting, and everybody wants to say they played for Alabama or they wanted to play for Clemson, uh, and they are flat-out football schools. But it, it takes a while. And, you know, Nick Saban was 6-6 six and six his first year, lost to Louisiana Monroe. You know, it took Dabo Sweeney a while to get Clemson to where it is now. So I would, if, if I were consulted, which of course I won't be, I would counsel patients, especially in the case of Tom Herman, who I happen to think is a very bright, young coach. Wait another year. Wait maybe two more years before you hit the panic button. It's not like they're terrible. It's not like they're Nebraska, for example. It's not like they're LSU this year. Uh, give it a little more time. And see what happens. And, and, and I, I think, you know, 
What if Mike Krzyzewski had been fired after his third year at Duke? What if Tom Izzo had been fired after his third year at Michigan State? Both of them, the, the alums at those two schools were screaming to get the two of them fired. And the athletic directors waited and were patient, and look how it turned out. John Feinstein, who joins us each Monday to hit the national headlines. John, thank you as always, and we will catch up with you next week. Appreciate you. Look forward to it, guys. Thanks a lot. All right. John Feinstein there. Austin Price of VolQuest.com brings the VolQuest report when we return, including the kicker who's opting out for the University of Tennessee, his words. Um, but his coach says he expects him back next year. Well, get Austin's take on that. Midday 180 delivered by Edley's Barbecue, 104.5 The Zone. The glass shatters, and that means Austin is here. Austin Price of VolQuest.com, who joins us every Friday, of course, for the VolQuest Hour and the VolQuest Report. Is presented by MTGRT.com. Your live and local mortgage experts. Visit MTGRT.com today to learn more. Austin, hope you're doing well, man. I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Doing well. Uh, let's start with just the, the most recent news, uh, that of Samaglia opting out. What can you tell us on that? I know Pruitt expects him back next year, in which case, if he's hurt, why not just play someone else and he doesn't opt out? It's a bit bizarre. Yes. You know, you go and read his tweet, and he's talking about, you know, the hardships in the program and, and needing to get healthy and, and, you know, mentally get better and, and then and then says, you know, he'll give us all in the future. He doesn't really say, I'm going to be back. I know Coach Pruitt indicated that, that would be the case, uh, you know, from from his knowledge of the situation. But it, it, it you know, Brent's kind of a, a different personality, so it was a bit. Uh, it's not totally shocking, just kind of how different the tweet was. But if you go read it, I mean, you could read it, you know, four or five different ways. So who kicks this week? Paxton Brooks. I mean, Paxton Brooks has handled kickoffs and, and punting for Tennessee and. Just announced he is on the depth chart as the place kicker in this game also. Um, is there a – obviously, I'm guessing the range isn't the same as Samaglia. Does this change the decision-making in this game where you're not going to attempt many field goals? It's more of an extra point scenario for, for Paxton Brooks? Or is this a guy who's got a good enough leg where they could attempt you know anything inside of 40 yards, let's say? Well, I think he's got a, a really a good enough leg. Um you know, and, and probably could kick 150-plus if they needed him to. But I, I, I think you're right. I think that 40 and in, they would might give him a look. But I don't think they're – unless it's for a game winner with, you know, a couple seconds left and they've got to make a 50-yard field goal, I don't think they're going to trot out Paxton Brooks and say, hey, kick us a 50-yard. <laughs> I don't – you know, I mean, like, <laughs> I just don't think that's going to happen. But I do think that, you know, you could see them, you know, if they've got a 38-yard field goal, if, you know, seven to nothing or whatever that, you know, Paxton Brooks will probably get a look in that instance. I don't think Tennessee's going to go all PlayStation on us, and, you know, go for it on fourth down every time. Um, you know, I think, I think that there will be a, uh, you know, a yard marker they have to get to where they feel comfortable about consistency with Paxton um, as far as, uh, as far as, you know, a field goal, but, you know, leg wise, he's got plenty of leg. Austin, what did you make of Harrison Bailey's first start? I mean, I thought he did some good things. I thought that he was crafty.
crafty in a couple of ways, but, you know, he didn't push the ball down the field a whole lot. A lot of his completions were, you know, um, right around the line of scrimmage. And, you know, uh, I still think he's a ways away. Um, I thought J.T. Stroud come in and played really good. He pushed the ball down the field, made some plays. Now, you could argue that it was against the same similar type, you know, defense that Harrison has seen the last few weeks, which is a, a defense that, you know, was, you know, back, you know, backing up and letting them just kind of keep it in front of him. But they, even them, he still pushed it down the field, had a design run, made a play with his leg, um, you know, did enough to warrant going, why, why did they give up on him after three plays and one throw against Kentucky? Like that, that's the befuddling part to me about JT Shrout is, 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 you know, how quickly they gave up on him. But I think both guys, you know, providing this game happens this week in the Tennessee and Vanderbilt, I think both guys warrant playing time in the first half, uh, you know, when, when it's crunch time. So uh, Jeremy Pruitt announces that it's going to be Bailey and Shrout getting the reps this week going into Vanderbilt. Tennessee opens a 14-point favorite over Vandy. Uh, Tennessee fans certainly don't want to see Garantano in this game. It doesn't look like they're going to have to suffer through that. You get Bailey, you get Shrout. What do you want to see from Tennessee specifically in this game, knowing those two guys are going to be the quarterbacks? Well, much of what they did this past weekend, which is protect the football. You know, I mean, you know, Tennessee made it some plays defensively. Yeah, I mean, Florida's going to score points. Um, but Tennessee, you know, kind of hung around in there, you know, Chad, and, you know, did a decent enough job, you know, to where they, you know, they didn't get the, you know, the, the doors blown off. Um, they held Florida you know, to fewer and, and points than anyone has all year at 31. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and, and it's the closest game nice Florida's job. played other than the loss to A&M. It's their closest win of the season, technically. Yeah, so, I mean, they, they did a solid job. And, again, what happens, that's what happens when you don't turn the football over. You know, and that, you know those those catastrophic plays that Tennessee's had dating back to Missouri, you know, have, you know, really just mutilated uh, their ability to stay in games at times. And so Tennessee did not have any of those Saturday. They were able to hang around. And, you know, I mean, yeah, it was 31-7, to and then Tennessee scored a couple of late fourth-quarter touchdowns. But, you know, Tennessee also – you know, showed enough flashes, you know, Saturday to uh, make you, okay, that's what happens, you know, when you do things properly. So um, I'm interested to see if this team even happens. I, You know, I think Vanderbilt wants to play this game, uh, but my question is, is, is Ole Miss going to be able to play Texas A&M this weekend? I, you know, at this point, I think it's totally 50-50. And, and, you know, if that happens, then I think Tennessee-Texas A&M could happen this weekend instead of Tennessee-Vanderbilt because if they want A&M to get 10 games in, and if A&M can't play Ole Miss because Ole Miss has COVID, I think that the SEC would make a move on that game and move the Tennessee game up a week. To which Tennessee fans say, great, <laughs> you're going from Vandy to Texas A&M, a top-10 team. How late, swapping that out. how late in the week could they make that call? Oh, I think that it has to be done either late tonight or first thing in the morning. I don't think that you can – I think I think to change the game, you have to let them know by Monday night, Tuesday morning. So let's let's just go under the assumption that at, at game as scheduled right now, Tennessee and Vanderbilt. Jeremy Pruitt said this team continues to improve. Effort's not an issue with this group. They haven't mailed it in or anything, but they continue. There's a lack of execution, a lack of good play. If Tennessee is, in fact, improving and younger guys are getting better, Austin – I believe they come to Nashville and win easily, and they run the hell out of the football against this Vandy team that barely has enough players to field a team under the SEC protocol. Do you agree with me when I make that statement that that's what needs to happen in this game? Well, it's what needs to happen for Tennessee. Um, now, 
needs and, and actually happening is two different things a lot of times. But I do, but I do think that the want to is there. I, you know, this team continues to fight and continues to battle. And let's face it, <laughs> when, when you've kind of got your teeth kicked in at times this year and you've been gut-punched and gut-punched and gut-punched, even when you've you know risen to the occasion, had the lead, and, and when I say the gut-punched, it's the pick-sixes and the fumble returns and all those type of things. You know, when you get a chance to have your moment where you do that to somebody else, you get really excited and you play harder. So I think that, that Vanderbilt will get Tennessee's best effort Saturday. And I, and I think, you know, for the kids that are left on Vanderbilt's team, Tennessee will get Vanderbilt's you know, best effort, at least early. And uh, we'll see uh, kind of where the chips fall about halftime. So if you're placing your bets right now, do you think the game's played? Is it less than 50%? I mean, I think it's a total coin flip at this point. I think it all depends on yeah. Ole Miss. I don't think – I think if, if Ole Miss is able to play A&M, then, then yes, I think Tennessee plays Vanderbilt. I think Vanderbilt wants to play. I think this game will happen. My question, though, is is, is where's Ole Miss at? Because I think the league office will be pretty adamant on getting the SEC uh, or the a- A&M team 10 games. And so if, if it helps Ole Miss's case to play that game next weekend and they move Tennessee's game with A&M up to this weekend – I think that's what they'll do to make sure A&M has a 10-game conference schedule. Hey, clarify the injuries for us with Shrout and Maurer. The CBS broadcast was saying a labrum injury for Shrout, a hamstring injury for Maurer. What did Pruitt say about that? Well, he didn't really address it today. Um, you know, Shrout, he had a, you know, a pop in his arm on, I think it was Wednesday, and then uh, – and then um, same day, Maurer kind of tweaked his hamstring uh, running scout team for Tennessee. And so um, that's kind of what happened with both those guys. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, Maurer was able to give him a couple of plays. And then JT looked him in the air and, and looked fine. I, you know, um, sure didn't look like a guy that had, had gotten injured. But no. talking to you know, multiple assistant coaches, you know, <laughs> they all said that they watched him. They basically both went down within about five minutes of each other on two separate fields. Because, like I said, uh, Mal was running a scout team. So, um, you know, I know what happened. It just wasn't as severe as maybe they initially thought. Any opt-outs of concern? Uh, I know another uh, opt-out, I say opt-out, decommitment this morning. What, What are you hearing on the recruiting front? Uh, well, no, I mean, those, that, that one, you know, there are, you know, we had one of the guys with the national rival to us, you know, Hey, can I get a sting factor and a score for, <laughs> you know, Daryl Jackson? And I'm like, guys, I, I get doing these articles, you know, um, but you know, when Tennessee quit recruiting this kid months ago, like that's not really a sting factor because Tennessee gotcha. moved on from him. So like, you know, there are sting factors. Losing Terrence Lewis was a sting. They're losing Demarius McGee was a, you know, a way more of a sting. But then there's a guy like Daryl Jackson who, you know, I think probably ends up at FSU, but, you know, Tennessee, you know, quit recruiting him a while back. He's doing he them just, a favor. You know, so what, what was saying. that sting factor? Minus five? Sting factor for Daryl Jackson? Yeah. Negative? Uh, it was a pinch. <laughs> <laughs> are they going to be any other pinches moving forward, or are things holding steady as far as you know right now? I mean, I think there'll be a couple of more pinches. Uh, you know, a couple more guys that I think Tennessee has chosen to move on from. Um, you know, because they've got to clear some space. Because let's face it, if Tennessee is going to, you know, go, you know, go continue to go down the road with Jeremy Pruitt, 
they need to win right away next year. And the best way to do that is with, uh, you know, potential one-time transfers. And if that goes into effect after the first of the year, then Tennessee's going to look to get in that market with a quarterback, pass rusher, defensive back. And uh, it makes a lot of sense to leave some spots open in this current class to be able to sign guys, uh, you know, as a one-time transfer. Austin Price, VolQuest.com, with the VolQuest report on this Monday, presented by MTGRT.com. Your live local mortgage experts. Visit MTGRT.com today. Austin, thank you. We'll catch up with you and Brent for the VolQuest report an hour on Friday. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. All right. Austin and Brent with us for the VolQuest hour on Friday at 11 a.m. Every Monday at noon, Eddie George, number 27, joins us next. You think Eddie was ever trailing by 31 at the half? Probably. At some point. No, maybe. no, no, not 31, not 31 at the half. half. Yeah, that's, he was right. in more of the ground and pound era, so I doubt there were maybe 31 Maybe 31 in the game. Being put up not 31 half. at the half. You think Eddie was ever part of a team that went all out blitz to tank for a quarterback? Well, he did play with Greg Williams. <laughs> Midday when <laughs> Eddie delivered by Edley's Barbecue, 104.5 The Zone.